You're listening to the teaching of Doxa Church. Doxa is located in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and our mission is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. To everyone else, please take your Bible and open up to the book of James. Chapter 4 is where we are going to be today. This series is coming to a close, and we have one more week in James. Um, all these last few sermons have really been blending together. They're all flowing off of each other. So today is basically part three of, of the same sermon. But we are loving this series. Every week we have seen that your faith in Jesus Christ can't just be a profession. All right? It has to be so much more than that. If you are a genuine follower of Jesus Christ, your life should start sounding different, and you should start acting differently. Now, in our immediate context, James has been contrasting the earthly false wisdom of this world versus the heavenly wisdom that's from above. And we are seeing that the underlying foundation of the right kind of wisdom is humility, that is based off of our relationship with Jesus Christ. And the falsehoods in this world is totally based on the eroding, brutal foundation of arrogance and selfish ambition. So if you think of it this way, if we're building a home, all right, we've already laid the foundation, Jesus Christ. We have this underlying motive of humility. We've even kind of put up some of the walls. We did this this last week. You have the, the different rooms, and, and we went through these, um, these three key concepts we saw last week, the room of ownership, quench the desires of the flesh by starting with your own personal sin. That was chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. The room of confession, don't lie with the world, embrace God's grace, verses 4 through 6. And then the room of submission, resist the devil, draw near to God, verses 7 through 10. So we've just been over all that. The structure is there. The rooms are in place. Uh, maybe you had to knock down a wall or two last week. I know some people did. Uh, it, was, it was amazing. Now we're going to pick it up in verse 11 and get into the final stage. And this is the interior design stage. All right? And, of course, this is the week that my wife, Julie, is in here. She's in Michigan, surprising her parents for a special occasion. And uh, my wife is an interior designer, for those of you who don't know. She's really good at it. But the thing about interior design is you don't always have to pull a whole wall down to make a big difference. You can, you can put some paint up, and I know this, I'm married, like I said, I, I hear this like every day. You can, you can paint something, you can paint it, you know, cabinets, and they look new. You can put up some wallpaper, perhaps, whatever it is. You can tweak little things here and there to make a really big difference when it comes to interior design. The other thing about it is, if you never do anything to freshen up the room, you just leave it nice and comfortable, what happens over time? Things get stale and old really fast, and then wife doesn't want to invite anyone over because we, we need to have some updates here. This area of humility, we're getting really practical, really, really specific at this stage, this interior design stage. This is the final stage of what we're talking about. The rooms are there, but now you have to constantly work on what James is about to tell us. Sure, you can do the Marie Kondo thing, and if it doesn't give me joy, I'll just get rid of it. But these furniture pieces, these accent touches, are accessories that have to stay fresh. 
And if you don't do that, even a solid structural house will get dated and stuffy. And you don't want that in the spiritual sense. So that's where we're going today. We're getting specific. And I know there's some of us in here probably thinking, well, well, David, humility. Are we really going to talk about humility again? Like, that's nice for some people. I, I appreciate it when people aren't prideful to me. But I have a lot going on. I, I, I have, I'm an important person. I, I have things that I need to accomplish. And I would just have to say, James is addressing the movers and the shakers in this passage. And you, you, you are actually in the right place because what James has to say, you need to pay very much attention to because it's true that you need to hear. So who's ready to get an interior design quote? Ready to go? Here it is. Here it comes. Some examination of the inner workings of your heart. Let's go to the text and read verses 11 through 17. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. The first mark of humbling yourself before the Lord that we're going to see this morning, point number one, is refrain from derogatory or judgmental communication. James, a lot of times, will make us think. He likes to paint a nice picture before he hits us with the truth. James is not missing any words here. I mean, this is as straightforward as you're ever going to hear from James. He just says, do not speak evil. Don't talk this way. No, there's no code about this. It's, it's look, if you haven't gotten here yet on your tongue, I, he's talked a lot about your tongue so far. But he's saying, you have to refrain from this. The Greek word for speak evil against isn't the idea that you never call sin, sin. It's not that you never call out error or stand for truth. This is literally talking down on someone. You know, we, we could say, you know, in today's vernacular, you're throwing shade on someone and you're, you're dissing someone. It's, it's when you, with your words... Tear that person down. You, you, you pour shame upon them by the way you communicate with them. Malicious speech that is intended to negatively influence someone else should never, ever be a part of our vocabulary. And you may be thinking, well, of course, I would never do something like that. But there's a lot of ways that we can actually fall into this. There's a lot of ways that we can actually downplay this kind of communication. There's the obvious, very false witness against your neighbor. But there's also broadcasting of sins and weaknesses of other people 
to someone who doesn't even need to hear that. They don't need to have any part of that. What's going on when we do that through the charade of prayer requests? Or maybe it's a, just an overshare in life group. It's an under-the-table way to make yourself look better and prop yourself up and salve your own conscience. Pride likes to be seen as superior to others, and sometimes it's even bitter jealousy that makes a public case out of something that should have been resolved privately. But it's not just lying about someone, it's not just speaking down on someone directly. Sometimes it's what you don't say that cuts and tears someone down. And especially in 2020, uh, one of the worst ways this is manifested is behind the keyboard in the comment section. Maybe, maybe you're not actually talking face to face, but you're now saying things that you would have probably never said if you were looking at this human in the eye. But you're still communicating nonetheless, and that's still a person who's receiving those words. I heard someone say this week, and I, I, I hesitate to even say this, but like, um, just bring, to bring up a hot topic, but this person said, hey, we should be praying for Hunter Biden, okay? Not to even go into the whole mess of what's going on. There's some terrible things going on with that laptop, and of course, criminal investigations need to happen. There's people who need to do that. But for us, it's not our job to broadcast all of this mess. We should be praying for someone like that. I don't want to get too far off track. The main thrust of this point is if, if you are living in humility, you're going to watch what you say directly to your brothers and sisters in Christ. This is really a personal thing, an interpersonal relationship. Now, the Bible does talk a lot about making righteous judgments. We, we, we're going to go here because this is such a big part of these first few verses. Because you can't live without making judgment calls. So what's the difference between making a righteous judgment? And then clearly you see, you know, do not judge in the Bible as well. So, so where do we fall with all of this? Whenever the Bible tells us not to do something, maybe it's laying some ground rules, it's always for our protection. So when God says don't, so what he really means is don't hurt yourself. So there's a lot of ground rules for, for this issue of judging. I want to just run through this briefly as we step away from James for just a quick second. Um, but we are told not to judge maliciously. That, we just saw that, verse 11 of this chapter. We're told not to judge hypocritically, Matthew 7, verses 1 through 6, Romans 2. And if you're paying attention at all in this, the worst culprits of hypocrisy in our day and age right now, are the people who preach tolerance and acceptance and equality. And, and these are the people that, if you don't line up exactly the way they think, they are ready to take your head off, right? I mean, you feel that out there. But don't judge hypocritically. The Christian should be better than that because we have Jesus Christ. We're told not to judge by the outward appearance, John 7, 24. You think of the, uh, of the, the story of King David before he was king, when he was a young man getting chosen by, by Samuel, and, and he said to David's father, Jesse, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. So don't judge by outward appearance. We're not to judge prematurely, John 7 again, different later on in that chapter. We're not to judge others' motives, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5. You're going to get in endless trouble when you start playing that game of trying to judge someone's motives. That's just a big no-no according to the Bible's ground rules of judging. And then we're not to judge other Christians' individual consciences. 
Romans 14 is all about this. We actually just did a podcast that really heavily touched on this one. We had a podcast on Christian liberty and the Docs of Dialogue. So if you want to hear a whole 35 minutes on that with, with the roundtable discussion, we really dove into that one. But people are going to answer to God, right? They're being led of the Holy Spirit. It's not our job to play the role of the Holy Spirit and tell other people what they should or should not be doing. Let them follow the Lord in their own personal relationship. Of course there's room for saying helpful things and, and encouraging and teaching people, but it's not our job to put our standards on someone else. That's between them and the Lord. All right, got all those ground rules. Since we're talking about judgment, I thought it was important to hit that. Now back to James. Do you remember a while back in this letter when he was talking about the law? If you were here with us a few, you know, a month ago, uh, in James chapter 1 and James chapter 2, there are three different laws that James identified. The Old Testament law was the first one. It's the Old Covenant. And this reveals to us our sin nature. None of us have kept the law. We've all failed miserably at this. We're all condemned sinners. Uh, and that's the bad news before the good news comes in. But that's the first piece of the law. That's a different law than what James is talking about right now. He also mentions the royal law of love. In James 2.8, he said that. And this describes loving your neighbor as yourself. That's a good law to have. But the predominant law that James talks about in this book is the perfect law, the law of liberty. It's the one that we're to live by instead of the old law now. This is, this is we're in the period of grace. This is the one that's introduced in James 1 and 25. It's elaborated on in James 2, 8 through 13. And when we had our sermon, Mercy Triumphs Over Judgment, a message about the sin of partiality, we really went through all of this. But this is James 2, 12 and 13. So speak and so act as those who be judged with the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who is shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So you and I, we're not the lawgiver, we're not the judge. There is only one lawgiver, one judge, and in our pride, we can tend to make ourselves into our own judge, jury, and executioner sometimes. It's the way people, people out there handle themselves a lot of times. That's prideful, it's way out of line. Our place is to show mercy as one who has received mercy. And that's why James says, who are you to judge your neighbor? Now here's the thing. Remember how I said it's very important to keep your furniture fresh, maybe rearrange it sometimes, get a new plant or something, a picture frame, something to just breathe life back into the room? Some of us don't like buying new furniture. You know who you are. You, you like that same old couch that your mom handed you down, and it's just really comfortable because you nap really well on it. But the problem is, if you never change these things, including this area, you're going to run into people. They're going to rub you the wrong way. You're going to feel like saying something. Let's go back to humility. What's your place? If you don't constantly work on this, just like you constantly rearrange something else, if you're not always on this, it is going to become a problem. Christians can know correct theology and they can lose humility and then become a complete turnoff for the, for the cause of Christ. So in this area, we have to realize that those judgmental 
derogatory thoughts will creep in. And if they come out of our mouth, it will be destructive. So in the area of fault finding brother against brother or sister against sister, we should be the last to judge others. We should be the first to judge ourselves. Love your neighbor as yourself and let mercy triumph over judgment. It means that if you walked into someone's house, it's my last, my last interior design illustration, but I was really on a roll, I guess, apparently. But if you walk into someone's house and, um, and you see a color that you don't like, are you going to just like blast them for that and say that's their face? Of course you would. You would never do that in real life. It can't happen in the spiritual sense. I have to say, though, um, one time growing up, there was a number of my family. It wasn't me. It wasn't my mom or dad, so I'll let you, I'll let you figure the rest out. Um, but we drove up to our aunt's house. And we had never really been there before, and my mom made a comment, wow, I would never have that color for my house. Like, she just made this comment, and that was it. And we walk in, we have dinner, and during dinner, my family member just says to my aunt, you should really paint your house. Wow. Um, <laughs> and of course, my mom was very embarrassed. Um, you know, worked it out, it's family, it happens. But that's an example of, yeah, you would never do this in real life. So let's not do this spiritually speaking and judge others and you know, let's watch what we say. <clears throat> Little kids do stuff like that. Mature adults know better, right? So let's practice this in the spiritual depths of your own heart. And this is where it goes back to your attitude. The, the temperature of where you're at. Before you give Sally a piece of your mind, how can you edify her instead of dump on her and tear her down? Now let's move on to the next two verses and see the second practical, this is a very practical message today, practical mark of humility in verses 13 and 14. Come now you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while in time and then vanishes. Point number two is factor in your transient time on earth into your priorities. This needs to be part of the equation. When you're thinking and planning, you're transient. Okay, you're a miss. So if the first point today was about how humility affects your relationships with others, which it was, <laughs> all right, these next two points are going to be how your view of yourself affects this whole humility piece. And then we're going to look at our view of God and how our view of God actually addresses humility in our own lives. And these, these next two points are very entwined. Uh, they go, they're intrinsically linked. But as we break this down, how should you be viewing yourself? When we humble, humble ourselves before the Lord, He will exalt us. And here's the other thing that's happening. It should be affecting the way you make plans. It affects what you prioritize on your calendar. What you spend your time on. And I love how James is really narrowing in on the movers and the shakers in this passage. This just screams at all those threes, those go-getters, you know, for which I am one. We have to remember, everything we plan doesn't automatically happen, right? 
James is saying clearly here there's, there's nothing wrong with making plans. The Bible is crystal clear on that. Jesus made that very, very clear. We should be making plans. We should be saving for a rainy day. Get involved in your community. You have to put dates in the calendar. You, you're going to have to travel around and make some profit to live. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. That's not, that's not the point. In the middle of all of that, though, James is saying, don't forget, you really don't know what tomorrow will bring. And, and the best plans can get shaken up in an instant. This reminds me of Proverbs 27.1. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. And here's the truth. I think James is actually being nice here. Because not only do you not know what tomorrow will bring, you don't even know what today will bring. <laughs> you really don't. Uh, I mean, some of us have our built-in, written-down plan for tomorrow. You have your Google Docs spreadsheets all marked up. You have your notifications ready to go on your, on your smartwatch. You have it all set. But tomorrow's can be thwarted by outside factors. So for those of us who are that way, who have it all down, and then for those of us who don't even know, you know what we're going to have for lunch today, you're just going to roll with it. What feels good? Well, I'm going to... Start driving down the road and see what the next restaurant is. I know we have all ends of the spectrum in the room. I don't know what we're going to have for lunch. I know I'm going to have my kids. Julie's out of town right now, so there's probably going to be a couple discipline issues. We'll get in the road down for a nap. That's about all I know. I mean, I'll probably wind down at the end of the night. We'll plan the trampoline, maybe. Wet trampoline's always fun. You know, we'll figure it out. But here's the thing. Our plans are really unknown. You can plan a little bit, go for it, but be prepared that things can change in an instant. So we have a lack of knowledge. We have limited vis visibility. We can't assume that in 2021 everything will just go back to normal. We can make some educated guesses, but this is what James is reminding us of. In the middle of this knowledge, he adds that line, what is your life for you were missed? It's very important that you understand this word, right? The Greek word mist is not like a fog that lingers in the morning. This is like that breath of, of air that comes out of your mouth. Maybe when it's cold, you know, when you, when you talk and there's just a little mist. When you see, you see your voice, you see, you see your breath. James is not saying not only do you lack knowledge, but you lack, James is saying not only do you lack knowledge, but you lack power to do everything you want to do about what you do know. You don't have that much time. For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. It's not a very good starting place for swagger. <laughs> I mean, in my limited knowledge, I'll only be here for a second. I don't really know what's going to happen by the end of the day, but hear me roar. I have it all figured out. <laughs> no, you don't. This isn't a great place to start with bravado. And, and the truth can hurt a little bit, but the more you get this, that you are a limited, that you are a vapor, that life is more fragile than you care to admit, the more you get this, it should shape your eternal priorities. Because we're not living for the here and now. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, confessed your sin, repented, and believed by faith in what Jesus did for you, you are living for something that is so much bigger than just your own life. You're living for eternity. And I think this is something that's really missing. I want to emphasize this. This is missing in American culture. 
right now. This is so countercultural. Even in Disney movies, if, if you've noticed, the old Disney movies, like the mom and dad always die. Like Frozen is like the one exception right now. Like we don't even want to talk about death in our society. I don't know if you realize this, but the old Puritans, when they taught the alphabet to their kids, they didn't say A is an apple. They said A is an Adam. As Adam did die, so will I. It was right out there in the front. And when they walked to town, they walked by the cemetery in the graveyard, and I'm like, hey kids, there's yep, it's right in the middle of the whole the whole community. We're gonna go there one day. I'm not trying to be morbid, <laughs> it may sound like that, but the truth is, we're all gonna die. We don't need to be afraid of death if you know Jesus. And we need to prepare for that. Our time on earth is limited. In America, early America, death was always at the door. Now we hide it. And um, I think we have to start really thinking about, you know what? Even my time with my kids, you're a parent in the room. You know, if your kid is nine years old, kind of making up a statistic, but you're probably close to 90% done with shaping that kid for, their, for adulthood. Think about it. Nine, you got nine more years. And, uh, and, that's, and that's it, you're about halfway done with most of your influence as a parent. Um, there, there should be things that you used to be all about before you knew Jesus. But now it just doesn't mean as much to you anymore. This is, the, this is what a genuine faith starts to do to your thinking. You're thinking at work, well, I'm not gonna work with this person forever. So if I have an open door a crack, I need to take that. Because I may not get another chance. I've, I've had that happen to me before, where I'm like, oh, well, I'll work with this person for a long time. You know, you're not thinking that, well, they ended up moving and I never had another shift with them and the, the opportunity has passed. That's the way life works. Contrary to what Fountains of Wayne would say, none of us have all kinds of time. And I know most of you probably don't even know who Fountains of Wayne is, unless you're 30 to 40. You may remember, oh yeah, I haven't heard of them in a decade. That's because no one sings Fountains of Wayne anymore, and it's proving my point. <laughs> Time is limited, right? There's 15 minutes of fame, and then it's over. What's popular now won't be popular in a couple of years. So what do you prioritize and value? It should be things that last your relationship with God. That's eternal. Your family. The family you have, you're going to have for the rest of your life. Invest in that. In a year from now, your life is going to look different. There's going to be new people in your life. There's going to be new people in Doxa Church. Things will not stay the same. So remember, what are you created for? It's to bring God glory. So when you're trying to make these decisions in this temporary mist, ask yourself, what will bring God the most glory? This isn't just about my preferences and my felt needs right now. I have a mission. I have to factor in the fact that I'm not going to be able to do this for, forever. So what will bring God the most glory? A Christian who is walking in humility knows that their days are numbered. So don't live for something like a hobby. Now, hobbies are great. I'm all for it. 
you know, for sure. I'll turn on my PlayStation tonight as, as I wind down. Like, you need to recharge, but you can't let things that are supposed to be supplemental to your main purpose become your main driving purpose in life. You can't let hobbies do that. Are you building your own kingdom that will fade away, or are you building Jesus Christ's kingdom that will never fade away and that will last for eternity? So, it's the end of point two. We've seen how humility shapes our relationship with others. We see how it influences our view of ourselves. Now James, in his final section here, is going to explain our humility in relation to our, our view of God. Our perspective of who God is should also be shaping our plan. So look with me at verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. And this is the last point today, number three, align your will to God's will. Align your will to God's will. Now maybe I should address here what like a lot of us are thinking right now. Is James teaching... And when we do make plans and we talk about it, I should always say, Lord willing. Am I always supposed to add this extra caveat, if the Lord wills, every time I'm talking about my future plans? I would say, we know that James is not teaching that make, making future plans is sinful or wrong. You know, making a plan and being prepared is very virtuous in the Bible. I personally say the phrase, Lord willing, sometimes because... I know I need to remind myself. That's real. I'm not doing it for the other person to make myself sound spiritual. I don't think anybody should. I mean, that's going to get old really fast. You want to like annoy someone? Just say, "Lord willing," after every single thing you say. But there's nothing wrong with including it sometimes in your vocabulary if you need to give your own self that reminder. That's what James is teaching us here. We shouldn't just live for the moment. We should align our will to God's will. James' point is that our future plans, which are right and good, should be informed by, driven by, and fueled by a greater reality. It's not that making preparations for the holiday season, you know, we got Halloween coming up. Make some plans. If you don't, your kids will be disappointed. Make some plans for Christmas. Otherwise, somebody's going to be upset. Do that. But the underlying motives... What's driving your business? What's driving all of your plans? It needs to be something that is pointing to God. Because those underlying motives are either making it or breaking it. I also realize this probably bothers some of us in this room. This whole message is about how you're not in control the way you want to be in control. And you're a little offended. Like, well... Well, maybe you're not, <laughs> but I got my stuff together. Some of us, if you're not in control, you're not happy. And you don't want someone else to be in control, even if it's God. You don't want someone else to be in control of your life. This is where James is getting intensely personal. And he's telling us, look, it's not about your plans, ultimately. If you're not living in humility, what does verse 16 say? 
as it is you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is what? Evil. This is, remember we saw last week, there should be mourning and crying and weeping over our own pride, our own sin that elevates us. And we live for ourselves over the love and the mission that Jesus Christ has given us and over the people that God has allowed us to influence. If we make it all about us and our will, James says that's evil. Because you were created by God, not for your own kingdom and your own glory. You were created for His glory. So if you're a Christian, if you have this genuine faith, you should start living differently, right? So you know better. Whoever knows the right thing to do, how they should be living for Jesus, not themselves. If you know what you should be doing and you don't do it, that is sin. It's sin for you. You are responsible for what you do know. So the more that you've been given by God, the more he has revealed to you, the more he expects from you. Some people have never found a solid church. They don't really know any better. And they, you know, humanly speaking, they, they make mistakes and they don't grow as much. So I have to break this to you. You're here today. You're in a church that's actually presenting the truth to you. You are now responsible for this. Instead of just doing your own thing, whatever you feel like, whenever you feel like it, you need to have the hard attitude that says, I want to do what God wants me to do, if the Lord wills it. And what I think is awesome is James is actually making a play on words, because in his culture, in his day, the ancient Greeks had a very common phrase, and, and that was kind of like the cool culture, even for the Jews. Like, whatever the Greeks were doing, that's what we want to do. We want to dress that way, we want to talk that way. And their phrase was, if the gods will. They said it all the time, if the gods will. And similar to like, you know, early America, where they had a view of death that wasn't as scary, they were in battles all the time. If the gods will, I'll live in this battle. If the gods will, I'll survive. Like they didn't care. They were just like, life is a lot shorter. Life expectancy wasn't as big of a deal. And uh, they just had kind of this cavalier, carefree attitude. They didn't care about dying as much as we do. So they had this phrase, like kind of resigned to it, if God's let me live, or if they kill me, whatever. But James is flipping this, and he's saying, look, you should be saying, if the Lord wills. He takes the personal, covenantal name of God, Lord, and instead of having that depressing, devalued view of God, like the ancient Greeks, you should be living for someone who is bigger than you, and you have expectations for it now. Jesus is Lord. Jesus stepped into the world, and though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. In the very next verse in Philippians 2, verse 9 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name. So the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So do you remember back in verse 10 of this chapter, James 4.10? Humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. Have you seen Philippians 2, 9 there? He exalted, God exalted Jesus Christ. 
This is what Jesus did when he came down to earth. He became a man, and he substitutionally took our sin upon himself. He died a torturous death for you and me, taking our sin, our shame, and our punishment and paying the ultimate price for it. When Jesus was about to sacrifice his life, do you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane? He was pleading with the Father, this cup of wrath that I'm about to drink, the wrath of God, a holy God, for sin. Jesus didn't want to take that cup. He knew the gravity that he was about to go through, and he was pleading with God. But what did he say? Jesus Christ, in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus aligned his will while he was on earth to the will of the Father. So who are we to sit back and say, I'm going to do my thing? That's why the Bible says it's evil. We were not created for our own pleasure, for our own glory. It was for God's glory. James is telling the followers of Jesus, the ones who have repented of their sin, looked by faith to him for their salvation. James is calling those believers to rise above the world around them, to flip their saying on their head, and to remind themselves of the higher calling they have. It's not if the gods will, it's if the Lord wills. Yes, I'm going to step forward. I'm going to live for Jesus. So if the Lord gives me life and breath, I'm going to be gracious to those who are hurting. I'm going to be tender to those who are in pain. I'm going to be forgiving of those who are in shame by pointing them to the truth of what I can do through God. What God has done for me. How God has pulled me out of it. On earth, I will submit to the will of God because that's what Jesus did when he was here on earth. He took my sin and he died for it. He took my shame and he laid it out on the cross for me. His submission to the Father became the pathway to my hope and my peace. He defeated sin and death, and that gives you and I hope for the future. It's not just about the next four years. It's about the next 444,000 years into eternity that he's, and he's calling us to share that love with those around us. My banner, your banner, it's going to get shedded sometime. It's just not going to work out. It's going to fade away. So instead of being all about that, I want to raise the banner of Jesus Christ. He is the true King and Lord of Lords. Align your will to God's will because you were created for His glory. He's not going to give you all the information. It's going to be limited. But He has given you enough truth for you to know what to do with your Worship team, you can come up right now. And this is where, as Christians, we go back to the overall theme of James. You know what your purpose and your calling is if you know Jesus Christ. I saw uh, a video just a week or two ago, and it was uh, a young man, he's probably in his late 20s, in Portland, Oregon. This was like in 2017. And he was in a city council meeting in Portland a couple years ago, a few years, three years ago, I guess now. 
and he was going off on a pro profanity-filled like tirade at his city council about, I mean, he was a member of Antifa. I, I, I forgot to mention that. That's, that was his thing. He was saying, I'm a part of Antifa. And this is, it was, it was disgusting. It was evil. It was wicked. He was just blasting his government. This is three years ago. And the question I have for you is, what causes a middle, uh, you know, uh, a middle income, like middle class white guy who has everything he's ever probably wanted to get as far as like food and clothing and shelter? What causes him to have so much vitriol and hatred for his own government? How did that happen to somebody like that? It happens because people have a void in their life if they don't know God. They want to latch onto something. They want to cause something that they can fight for. They have ingrained in them this sense of justice because they're made in God's image. And if they see something that's wrong, they want to fix it. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, you don't know what the truth of God's word teaches, and you're hearing the lies of this world, you can latch on to anything, as crazy and as wicked and as vile as it is, and you can think you're doing good because you're for that. And it's a really sad place to be when people are just searching for a cause. They're desperate for something that can give them value and worth and meaning in this life. And they find it in the wrong thing. They find it in something that will only disappoint them, that will only make them more angry and, and filled with disappointment in the end. Christians, we have Jesus Christ. We have a calling and a purpose that's bigger than us. If you want purpose and meaning, you can find it by being involved in Jesus Christ's church. Be faithful on Sunday. Get involved in a life group. This is really something that is bigger than you. You shouldn't let anything stop you from living your life for Jesus. And the non-negotiable to that is not forsaking the assembly together. The church literally means a call-out gathering. We don't, we don't have that much time. Let's not waste the time that we have. It's not liberating to have no idea where the story of your life is going. That's debilitating. If you think about any good story you've ever enjoyed, whether it's a movie or a book, the protagonist, the, the, the main character, you know, they're trying to figure out who they are. Maybe they get this idea. I have a purpose. I have a meaning now. They, they know who the enemy is, right? If you don't have a, a clearly defined enemy, if the person's just stumbling around in the dark, not knowing who they are, what they're supposed to do for the whole movie, it's a pretty boring movie, right? It's a pretty trash book if, if you don't really have resolution you don't have meaning and purpose no none of us like works of art like that don't allow your life to be a meaningless work of art know the truth of who you are know the mission that you have and what jesus christ has called you to you have an identity in christ and when you realize where your strength comes from how you're on the clock this gives us passion and energy to be present it gives us peace to have confidence for the future. Everyone can stand up right now. Followers of Jesus Christ, we know better. But too many people live in fear because they listen more to the world's wisdom than to the wisdom that's from above. You were born for a purpose. Don't boast in your own arrogance. Verse 16, James isn't missing any words. He says it's evil. You know better. Align your will to God's will because you have been bought with a price. 
you were created for this program.